Amen. Thank you, guys. Let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, it is our heart's desire to behold you. Lord, I pray that you would give us a perspective, even this morning, even now today, to see you as you are. Lord, that that perspective would change how we live, would change the level of our joy and our hope. Lord, would you speak through your word? Lord, I pray that our hearts would be ready to receive what you want to do in our lives today. Lord, that this sermon would be for me, and that every one of us would think that. Not thinking about the person next to us or across the room, but for me. How can I apply this word today for your glory? In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Hey, great to be with you. Happy Father's Day. The dad's in the room. If you've got a dad around you, can you just point at them and just say, you're awesome, you're awesome. I know, I see some dads in there. Yeah, tell, tell them. Make them feel special today. I'm glad we could bless a few of you dads with a steak or two. Um, hopefully some of you already had steaks in the fridge ready to be grilled this afternoon. It looks like a great grilling day, that's for sure. I wanted to share a little bit about myself. I'm, you, know, you know I'm Phil. I'm the family pastor. I get to oversee students and also work with Kelly with kids. And uh, we've been here coming up on five years, which just blows my mind um, that we've been in Mansfield that long. And, you know, it's interesting when we moved to Mansfield from Virginia, uh, we wouldn't even consider a house that didn't have central air and AC. Like, you know, there's a lot of houses in the area that, that don't have that. You know, it's like they've got the furnace, but, you know, they've got window units or whatever for AC. And we're just like, what? You can't survive without AC. Coming from Virginia where, you know, the last week is normal all the time and even hotter, right? And so we, we didn't even think about it. We're like, we need, we need an AC unit. And of course, you know, having been here now a few years, we purchased a house. And uh, last summer, our AC unit started giving us issues, okay? And, uh, you know, then we had this heat wave again this May, which was r really too early in Ohio to get in the upper 80s, wasn't it? It was just like, whoa, upper 80s. And when you have the thermostat set at around 72, 73, and the house is around 82, 83, I think you got a problem. And so I was like, oh, no, oh, no, what are we going to do? So we called uh, the HVAC people, and we'd already... They'd already had to do some adjustments the year before, and so we were almo almost ready for the news, and like, yeah, you need to replace this unit. And I remember, uh, you know, so we scheduled them, and about a week or two ago, they came in to replace the unit, and thankfully, we'd saved, so we could, you know, pay for it, and we were ready for that. But, on, you know, that whole day, when they were doing the install, I got to tell you, I just felt grouchy. I just felt irritable. And, and the, the guys were great. They, it, super great customer service. They were helpful in telling me about the new unit and how I could, you know, maintain it well. Uh, they did a great job. It looked great. Um, they, we actually got a pretty good deal, so it wasn't like they were cheating me out of anything. But I just hate spending money. Like, you could ask my wife. I just, I don't even like to buy clothing. I'm like, you know, ah, it's got a few more wares in it, right? And she would, she would literally have to go out and buy me clothing and throw my old stuff away. And so just this thought of, like, the money, I could just see it floating away, like, into the air, just like in this HVAC unit, right? Like, no, no. It's like, oh. And I don't know if any of you are like that, but, you know, when you bash or maybe a mirror off your car, you're just like, ah! <laughs> and you, and I, what I realized was, I attach my emotions and even my hope and my joy sometimes to my finances. 
And I don't know if any of you are like that, if you're like me. And so, you know, you get that bonus or maybe the stock market's doing really good and your 401k is going up. You're like, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm feeling pretty good. And you, you almost have like a little a joy in your step. And then like you have that $1,000 repair in your car. Or you see your 401k take a dip and you're like, ah! And you almost like carry this sense of like hopelessness or sadness. It affects our joy and our hope. You know, maybe you get that like tax refund and you're like, yeah! Or your AC unit goes out. You're like, no! You get a raise or a promotion. Yes! Yeah! And you feel it actually affects our hope and our joy, doesn't it? You make a great sale and you're like, yeah, okay, yeah, I'm feeling good about myself. You haven't had a sale in a month, and you're just like, oh, and it just weighs over you. What am I going to do? And for you, it might not be money. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's certain family members. Maybe it's your spouse or one of your kids. And if your last call, they're doing really well, hey, sweet, I'm so glad that they're thriving. But then you get that report or that, that they're not doing so well, and you lose hope. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's, you know, your grades if you're a student. Maybe it's the flowers around your house or like me, your air conditioning unit. Or, or maybe it's, you know, let's get real, Ohio State Buckeyes. <laughs> okay, we could feel it in here on a Saturday after or a Sunday after a Saturday loss. Like, have you noticed that? Have you ever come in on a Sunday after the Buckeyes lose Saturday night? Well, one, attendance always drops. Like, we have data to back up. The people, less people come after a Buckeye. They don't want to see people. I just want to stay home and mope, okay? Because my Buckeye's lost. And, you know, everyone comes in. How you doing? Not too good. Me either, you know? And it's amazing how we let our circumstances affect our joy and our hope, don't we? We allow our circumstances to produce discontent and even despair. For some of us, maybe that lack of hope expresses itself in anxiety, or depression, worry, loneliness, loss. Maybe some of us have gone through things like hurt or abuse in the past. And whenever that resurfaces in your heart or your mind or through situations, it just brings you right back to that place of hopelessness. We say things like, nothing will ever change. It will always be this way. There's no light at the end of this tunnel. I just want it to be over. You see, when we're squeezed by circumstances in our life, the real stuff comes out, doesn't it? It's like when everything's going great, man, we all, in some ways, we're usually doing pretty good. But when the difficulty comes and we face hopelessness for one reason or another, it really shows what, where our affections lie and what, in what our hope lies. You see, this life will inevitably bring suffering and difficulty. And they often reveal to us our source of hope. And God's desire, and we're going to be in 1 Peter 1 this morning, God's desire for us is that we be joyful and worshipful people in any and all circumstances. And the only way that this is achievable for us is for us to have hope in something that's not found in this life, right? Because this life inevitably disappoints us. It lets us down. People will let us down. Our finances will let us down. Our AC units will let us down. And so we need to find our hope in something outside of this life. And, and Dan introduced 1 Peter last week. And you remember, his audience was going through trial. They were going through religious and cultural rejection. They were being pushed to the fringe of societies because 
Christians did not fit. Christians did not belong. Ever feel like that? Your worldview, your perspective doesn't fit with what we say is the, what we should believe and how we should live. And so they were being rejected by, by, in their cities and in their towns and their villages. They were being rejected. And in the midst of this, Peter's word is you can still have hope. You can still have hope. And this is the application from God's word today we're going to look at. Rejoice in your hope. Rejoice in your hope. This is why we're saving a few worship songs for the end of this gathering. Because I believe the best application of this text is to worship, is to praise. So if you have your Bible, we're going to have it on the screens as well. But if you could open up to 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at verses 3 to 9. 3 to 12 is a hymn. Um, definitely read all of it, but because of just time constraints this morning, we're not going to be able to look in detail at all of it, but let me just read this passage, and if you would just read along in your own copy or on the screen so that we can just see the word together. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls." And he goes on through 10 to 12. This whole section here is really a hymn of praise. And it's interesting because he's writing to an audience that's in the midst of difficulty and trials and suffering. Okay, he calls it later in 1 Peter a fiery trial. And he's not just being metaphorical. It, It was an intense difficulty that they were in. And he says in the midst of this, praise God. Rejoice. I know that's not my first reaction. You know, when I had to replace that AC unit, my first reaction wasn't, I'm so thankful, God, that you are good in spite of the fact that it's 82 degrees in here. I'm so thankful, God, that you've provided for this new unit. I don't have to take out a loan or ask somebody for money, but you've already given me what I need to keep my house cool. And you know what, God? I don't even need air conditioning. You've given me life, and I could survive even if I couldn't afford it. That wasn't my first reaction. My first reaction is discontent. And yet, our hope needs to be in Christ, even in the midst of suffering. And I want to visualize this idea of praise, because I think what Peter says here is we need to praise God in the midst of the storms of life. And this is how. The rest of the hymn unpacks how we can do that. How do we find hope and rejoice in the midst of difficulty? And what he seeks to do in this text is to change our perspective. And I want to visualize that for you. So if you would just uh, follow me over here with your eyes for a second, and then we're going to go across the stage. And I'm going to use this rope stretching across the stage to symbolize our perspective. And I think very often in our life, what we find is that our life right here and now 
is our entire perspective. We see things kind of as they are right now. So, for instance, I might be going through a health challenge that's very significant. That is the lens through which I see my life. That's it. And, and my hope, my joy, corresponds directly to that situation. I'm having difficulty in my marriage or my family. One of my kids maybe is rebelling or has walked away. And that's, I, I can't even find the joy or hope in Jesus Christ because that's it. It's so bad, and I carry this around like a burden on my back. And I think what that means is our perspective is too wide. It needs to be narrowed a little bit in terms of this life. We need to see our life as not the whole picture, but just a small picture. You see, because this passage is going to show us that we have a lot coming after this life. A lot. Far more than this life. But so often, don't we think the here and now is it? I've got from zero to 80, or maybe 90 if I'm blessed, or 100, right? And that's it. And when that's what our hope is in. Only I hope I can travel to this place. I hope I can see my grandkids get married or graduate. And our hope is in this life. And the passage of this scripture reorients that and says, you know what? Sometimes this life won't deliver. But you can still rejoice in your hope because we've got a lot coming. We have a lot coming. Our hope is looking before us. And as we're going to see, too, our hope is also looking back behind us. So let's look at this text together, right? The first thing we see is the foundation of our hope. And that's Peter initially in this hymn says, let's look back. Let's look back. Look at this in verse 3. He says this, according to his great mercy, that's God, right? The God that we should be rejoicing and praising. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So the first thing Peter has us do here is to look back. What is the foundation for our hope? Why should we be able to hope in the midst of trial and difficulty? One, it's who God is, the character of God. And here he says, according to his great mercy. Every action that God does towards us is the direct result of his mercy. Do you realize that? Every blessing that we experience in this life or the next is because of his mercy. I was talking to a brother this morning. He said, how are you doing? I said, I want to respond like a friend of mine, better than I deserve. Because that's the reality. If you're in Christ, you're always doing better than you deserve. We are recipients of God's mercy. He's given us his mercy. You see, God's character and who he is should be the ultimate foundation of our hope. God's loving action towards us is always a result of his mercy. So what that means is when my situation seems unjust, I can still rejoice and have hope because I know God is just. When my situation, when my life uh, comes to the place where I feel unloved, I can find hope because I know God is love and that he loves me even in the midst of my feeling unloved. When everything feels bad, I, I can remember that God is still good and he's working his plan together for my good for all of eternity. When, when my life feels out of control, literally, and maybe some of you came in this morning and that's where you are, it's it, completely out of control. I can have hope because I remember that God is sovereign and he is in control and nothing has surprised him. Nothing surprises our God. We can rejoice in the midst of suffering because of who God is. We need to look back 
when we see our life, we need to look back and remember God is faithful. He is a merciful God. He is a good God. And even when it's difficult, I can trust him. I can trust him. Okay, the second thing that I think we can trust in God and why we can be hopeful is that he has borne us again from the dead. He says here again in verse 3, according to his great mercy, he caused us to be born again to a living hope. Do you remember that hope that you first experienced when you first came to know Jesus as your Savior? Suddenly, everything became clear, and you remembered, wow, I don't have to worry. I don't have to fear death anymore. I don't have to fear anything because I know what is coming. But sometimes as life goes on, again, our perspective zeroes in again on this life, and we forget that our hope isn't just here and now. It's forever in eternity with our great God. You see that perspective switch, and so often we lose that. And so to find hope in the midst of difficulty, we need to look back and remember that God in his great mercy gave us new life in Christ. Christians of all people in the world should be the most hopeful people. We should have real true hope because we know exactly what awaits us. And we've experienced new life in Christ. You know, and maybe you're here this morning and you're struggling to have hope. And maybe it's because you've never actually found Christ. Maybe you've never experienced new life in Christ. Maybe you've never repented and believed in Jesus. You can do that today. You can do that today. You can find hope today. The foundation of our new hope is who God is and what he's done in our lives, specifically how he's given us new life. And it says that he's given us new life through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now this is important, okay? When you compare Christianity to other world religions, Christianity is the only one that has a historical event that is necessary for it to be true. Do you realize that? If Christ wasn't raised from the dead, Paul says our faith is worthless. And we are of all men to be most pitied. But we can look back from our current life now and see God is who he says he is. We can trust that. He's, bo he's born us again from the dead, right? We are born again from the dead. And Jesus rose from the dead. It says elsewhere in the New Testament that he's the firstborn from the dead. So what does that mean? That means that even though we may die one day and this life will end, we have a new birth coming for all of eternity. He will raise us. We will ri rise with Christ as well for all of eternity. So we can have hope. This is not, and, and Christ's resurrection demonstrates as well that this is not a false hope. We don't trust in something that is not going to be realized. You know, my son Asher is about five years old. And uh, before COVID, we'd go to this place called Chuck E. Cheese. I'm not sure if we'll ever go back. It's a little scary to go back to a restaurant like Chuck E. Cheese with the kids now, right? I think the young parents can relate a little bit. So we went there, and, and they were running around, getting on the different rides. And Asher um, gets on this one ride, and a little girl gets on with him, and they're riding this together, and they're having a great time, suddenly best friends, right? And they're having a, this really fun time, riding different things, going from one thing to the next. Well, he gets on one, and she gets called by her parents away, and she says, I'll be right back. And so she, she runs, you know, over to her parents, and they start eating. And we're kind of watching this, and he's just sitting there, hands folded. At the time, he was probably about four years old. He's just sitting there waiting. He kind of looks over, and then he just stands there straight, just waiting. We go over and say, hey, bud, what you doing? She's coming back. She said she's coming back. 
And if you know Asher, he's a very loyal child. He's very loyal. And uh, that's a great little attribute about him. And we're like, well, I think she's eating dinner, Asher. I, I think she's, you know, maybe let's go and ride in there. No, she's coming back. She's coming back. She said she's coming back. So we go over. We're kind of hanging out with the other kids and keeping an eye. And he's just standing there, just sit or sitting there. I can see it right now, this little tray thing, just waiting. And he did it for about 20 minutes, waiting for this girl to come back. And again, this girl wasn't cruel or anything. She honestly thought she was going to come right back and then was obeying her parents and eating dinner. But Asher had this hope that was really a false hope. He was like, she's going to come back. She said she'd come back. God does not disappoint. He is faithful to his promises. And his resurrection from the dead and ascension will prove to be once again true because he is coming back. He is coming back one day. We have a real living hope in Jesus Christ. He is coming back. And whether it's in our life or we go to be with him, he will return. He will come back. So we can have a hope. It must be founded in everything that God is and what Jesus has done for us. We don't have a baseless hope because Jesus has risen from the dead. It's like the hymn said, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives. We can find hope because Jesus came back from the dead. We serve a risen Savior today. Amen? Wake up 9 a.m. Let's go. We serve a risen Savior. We can have hope because Jesus is alive. That is the foundation of our hope. But Peter doesn't stop there. He says, I want you to have something to look forward to. Look back at who God is and that he's risen from the dead. But look forward and see what God has in store for you. And we're going to look here at the next few verses in 1 Peter. Whoa, if I don't drop it, right? All right, let's look at verse 3 again. It says, according to his great mercy, he caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And again, this is looking forward now to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Kept in heaven for you. So first of all, when we look forward, the object of our hope, we know why, the because for our hope, but what's, what are we hoping for? What's the what of our hope? And he says here, you are born again to this living hope, to an inheritance, Brothers, sisters, we have an inheritance that is coming. Followers of Jesus have so much in store for them after this life. And it's easy in the midst of disappointments in the here and now to lose our perspective of the then and the there for all eternity. And there's probably some here who have lost maybe a spouse or a parent or maybe even a child who were in Christ Take hope because you know you have far more time with them than you ever did before. You have far more time with them than you ever did before. We can have hope in this inheritance. 2 Corinthians 2.9 says that no eye has seen nor ear heard nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Do you hear the weight of that? 
the goodness, the things that God has prepared for us. When Paul prays for the church at Ephesus at the beginning of Ephesians in 118, he says this, that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you. This is the hope. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? The riches of his glory. It's like he can't even stack enough adjectives on this inheritance. He's like, you have no idea what's coming. How great a salvation this inheritance is. And he, Peter describes this inheritance with three words. Imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And this is in contrast to everything else we see in this life, isn't it? Everything in this life perishes. Everything in this life is tainted. Everything in this life fades away. No AC unit lasts forever. Okay, I, I've talked to some people who theirs lasted for 25, 30 years. I'm like, man, who'd you buy from? Like, that is awesome. But nothing lasts forever. But when Jesus promises us a life, a reward, and an inheritance, he promises one that is unfading, imperishable, and undefiled. We will forever be provided for. Do you realize that? Like, our greatest needs and wants and, like, the things that we're like, oh, if only, or, or some of you maybe through this crisis, maybe your income has been affected, or maybe your 401k, and you want we will be eternally provided for in the presence of God. We have an inheritance coming. This is the perspective switch that Peter wants us to have, from the now to what's coming. Find hope in that. It's like this. If you knew you were going to inherit a million dollars tomorrow, someone's going to call you up, hey, it's coming. Where, what, what's the routing number? I'm going to drop it in your banking account. A million dollars tomorrow. Would you care so much about that $1,000 car repair today? You wouldn't. You'd be like, ah, you know what? Put the really nice one on. Yeah, fix that guy up. You know, forget it. Don't even fix it. I'm buying a new car. It would change our perspective. It's not quite the same thing, but you get the point. When our perspective goes forth to eternity, we say, you know what? Even in the midst of difficulty and loss and hardship now, I know what's coming. God has so much for us as followers of him. If we really had this perspective, I think we would see this life now kind of like what Paul said. When we go through difficulty, it's just a light and momentary affliction. Remember what Paul was going through when he wrote that? It wasn't easy, okay? He wasn't on a beach in Maui, right? It was difficulty. It was persecution and hardship, but he calls it a light and momentary affliction because he had his eyes set on eternity. That was his hope. Verse 5 continues, what else is the object of our hope? Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. See, we have a salvation, an eternal life that is secure. Do you realize that? No one can touch it. If you're in Christ and you've been born again in Christ, this is untouchable. Right? We saw it's imperishable and unfading. Nothing can happen now in this life that will mess that up. It, you're being guarded for this salvation. John 10 says, Jesus talking, my sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. And they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my Father's hand. Nothing can happen to mess up this eternity. You know, John MacArthur said, if I could have lost my salvation, I would have already done it. 
I, li- I kind of like that statement. It's like you are securely held in your Father's hand. You have a salvation that is secure. He is guarding it for you. He's guarding you for it. We can rejoice in our hope because our future is secure. God is guarding us for our salvation. It can't be taken away. So we have an inheritance that's coming. Our salvation is being guarded. Look at verse 6. He says, in this, in this, all of this, you rejoice, though now for a little while. Okay, do you hear that? Just a little while, just a life, just 80 years, just 90 years, just a little while. It is a little while in light of eternity. Even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Why? So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter reveals the third reason we can have hope in the midst of trials. Because trials are producing something in us that will give God more glory. We're going to look back at our endurance through the midst of difficulty for all of eternity and say, God, look, I showed that you were worth it. I lived in such a way that declares that you are worth my life, even maybe losing my life for your glory. Do you see the beauty of that? James 1 says, count it all joy when we encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect work that you'd be found perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Our endurance in the midst of difficulty now will forever bring praise and honor and glory to Christ. Our endurance now and hopefulness now in the midst of difficulty is bringing glory to God now and will forever because we're showing His worth. What does our faith mean if it's never tested? What does our hope mean if it's never tested? You see, our faith is being developed through difficulty in this life, and it will have eternal impact. It will have eternal impact so we can have hope. We can rejoice in our hope that my striving forward today in faith is an act of worship to God, even in the midst of physical hardship, emotional hardship, relational hardship. God says, you're giving me glory. The last thing, this is where we're going to close. Verses 8 and 9, Jesus is our hope. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. I can't even put words to it. And filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of of your souls. You see, Jesus is the object of our faith. As good as an inheritance is and, and the work, our working our life out for his glory, we get to spend eternity with Christ. We get to be with him, the one we were made to be in communion with. Church, we are the bride of Christ, and we are approaching our wedding day. Do you have that great expectation where we will be ushered into the presence of Christ forever, forever in perfect unity? Do we live with that expectation? We will be with Christ. Whatever you're going through right now, whatever you're going through today, Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth it. At the core of a Christian's hope, 
is not our best life now. It's our best life tomorrow. That needs to be the object of our hope. What is coming? Because this life will inevitably disappoint. It will let us down. People will let us down. Our finances will let us down. Our government will let us down. But Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we have to look forward to him forever. The band is going to come back up. Because Peter's point in this whole passage is rejoice in your hope in the midst of suffering. And so I think the best application of this text is to rejoice now together. To praise and to worship. So when the AC unit goes out, when that 401k takes a hit, when the doctor calls with that news that you never wanted to hear, maybe when a child is rebelling, when your job is on the rocks, maybe when your marriage is suffering, whatever it is, rejoice in your hope. We have a God who never changes, who's dealt so mercifully with us. We have new life in Christ. Now, today, we can live differently. We have a Savior who lives in Jesus Christ. We have an inheritance that's coming. Our salvation is guarded. Our trials are producing growth. And we have forever to look forward to being in the presence of Christ. That is our hope. That is why we can rejoice. So let's do it together. If you would stand, let me just pray. Father God, I pray that today you would remind our hearts of the hope that we have in you. Lord, would we no longer have our gaze occupied by this life alone, but may we have eyes that see eternity. When we have minds set on things above and not just on things below. Lord, would you awaken our hearts now to sing your praise, knowing that you are worthy of our lives, and we look forward to eternity with you forever. In Jesus' name, amen.